Amen. So let's now turn to, to the Word of God. And this morning, I want us to consider one question, a very important question. And this question is, what is God like? I know that might sound like an odd question, but you will understand what I'm coming from. And to do this, I want us to look at the first chapter of Ezekiel. So if you have your Bibles with you, I will invite you again to open in Ezekiel chapter 1. And we're going to read the whole chapter together. It's, it's an amazing vision. It's an incredible vision. It can be a bit complicated too, I give you that. But let's read together and we can find out all those things together. So Ezekiel chapter 1. In the 13th year, in the fourth month of the fifth day of the month, I was among the exiles by the Cheber Canal. The heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Cheber Canal. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness rounded, and the fire flashing forth continually. In the, in the midst of the fire, as it were gleaming metal, and from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and their soles of their feet were like the sole of calf's foot. And they sparkle like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And their four had their faces and their, and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four, the four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wings of one another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance were like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire, the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures darted to and fro, like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on, on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them, as for the appearance of the wheels and their construction. Their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as it were a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in, in, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Whenever, whatever the Spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them. For the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went, and when those stood, these stood. 
And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse shining like awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one towards another. And each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upwards from what had the appearance of his weight, I saw as it would gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downwards from what had the appearance of his weight, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and there was brightness round him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Amen. And now I just have to resist on, on going to keep reading to, to see what God spoke to, to Ezekiel. And I would encourage you to go ahead in your houses and read chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5. And see what the Lord says to Ezekiel. But for time's sake, we must stop here and, and look at the first chapter only. And in order to help you to take notes, if, if you take notes, I want us to, to notice five things. And I will try to point out very clearly five things from this text that we learn about God. And the first couple of things... Uh, which this vision clearly teaches us, and which would have been no news to them at that time. Today, we need to learn. So I want to point these things out. And the most fundamental thing, and maybe the most obvious thing, so I don't really need to point out, but I think I do, is this. So the first one is, God is not, like us. God is not like us. So you see here in this vision, we have a vision of a living being who is not like us. The Lord says in Psalm 50, you thought I was altogether like you. Friends, we have to admit that this is a, is a basic problem that we have when we come to God. We normally, we very often refashion him in our own image, at least in our own minds. And if you're here today or if you're watching us and you are not a Christian, this is the most fundamental thing we as Christians would want to communicate to you. Do not assume to know what God is like. Don't assume by your own intuition or inner sense that God must be a certain way that in fact he is why 
would we think that are? Why would we assume that God is like what you or I want him to be like? You know, he is a real existing personal being. Yes. So if we're going to learn about God in his being, in his character, he must tell us about himself. And that's what he done here in this amazing, wonderful vision. And the most fundamental thing we see and that we have to begin with is to note and sort of clean the slate over what our presumptions would be and realize that God is unusual. He is not like us. The Bible uses the word holy. And it's not simply that God possesses holiness, which he does, but that he is in fact holy. And therefore, when we approach him, we do so with awe and reverence. You know, my friends, one day we will meet him. We will meet him. And when we meet him, we will realize that all the intimations, all the suggestions of his glory and his majesty that we have had in our lives are just suggestions and intimations compared to what will really be the case. And we feel this in this vision as we read through it. You see, we have these great descriptions here in verses 4 to 14 of these living creatures that are magnificent in themselves. And then those wheels within them. And all of that is only to bring us to verse 22. Verse 22 says, Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse shining like all spiry crystal." spread out above their heads. And then in verse 25, we see even above that there was a throne. And, I, and above that, there was one on the throne. This is the great God of the Bible. The God who is infinite, who, is, who apart from him telling us about himself is incomprehensible. And note, even throughout this vision, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in recounting it, there is, I think, a kind of uncertainty on Ezekiel's part to describe in words. And he was very theologically educated. He would have uh, at least a decade of theological education as a sort of ministry in training or priest in training, if you, if you can say it like that. But when he comes to describe to us, he keeps stumbling. Notice he says, as if, like the appearance of, it seems like he's, he's not too sure what he's describing to us. And this is an, an amazing sight, it's an awesome sight. So when Ezekiel finally meets this vision of, of the God that he believed in, what does he do here? Does he give a, an eloquent 
prayer full of great learning because he has a PhD from the University of Jerusalem. No. His mouth is silent. And he falls face down. Because this God truly is a great God. He's a wonderful God. And as I have the, the opportunity to be in different churches sometimes or, or Christian conference and talk to Christians from different places, I do find the strange tendency today to assume that intimacy with God is evidenced by how casual we are with him. Casualness is assumed to be the height of intimacy nowadays. But I'm afraid to say that this is not true. I, I understand how that may be true in some ways and only in some ways, but this is not the norm. For example, in my relations with my wife or with good friends, I, I don't refer to them by the title they have or, or, or even by their names. I normally call them with nicknames, perhaps how close their friends are, even mean nicknames. But when it comes to God, this one who is unlike us, the Bible nowhere suggests that you and I will become more casual with him as we actually come to know him better. Yes, we are assured of his love in Christ. Yes, we can sing what a friend we have in Jesus and mean it. But there is with God, with the God of the Bible, a, a striking sense of reverence and awe. So much that we see here, Ezekiel, after all his theological training, he falls face down. So for us and for our church and for God's name's sake, we need to know that God is not just an old man upstairs, a friendly dude, a pal, or a grandfather. He is the utterly unique, holy one. If you want to understand the God of the Bible, you must Begin there. Second point that this passage shows us and teaches us is that God is all-powerful and all-wise. He's all-powerful and all-wise. So look again at a few of these verses. You see in verses 4 to 14, you have these living creatures. They are awesome in description. And then the wheels. And if you're old enough, you, you may remember a, a secular popular book. It was a bestseller, mainly in America. And it was based on this chapter here. And it was called The, Charities, the Chariots of the Gods. And I must admit, it's a very strange book. It's an odd book that came out in the 1970s. Where this guy here suggested that what you have here is, is a UFO. He suggested that you have an alien in an alien vehicle. And it's, it's kind of true, but not in the way he meant it. This here, this is the God who created the universe, who is appearing. 
And he gives this vision of himself through these creatures and these wheels. And then finally the expanse and the throne above. And these things are not there so, so we can make a phonograph in Sunday school to show kids what God's like. These things are there to convey some very, very important truths about God. So if you look at these living creatures here, you see they have four faces, one face in each direction. Now why would that be? It's showing that you and I, we can do anything behind their back. They can see you. Whenever you are, they see. And it's not just one of them. We've got four of them. So it's, it's complete surveillance here. And then what, what are those wings doing there too? Those wings are there. And you see that they speed back and forth like lightning. To show that space is no barrier to, to them. This God of the Bible is being represented even by these, these attendants. And the wheels are the same thing. You notice that they go in every direction but without even turning. And I was born in a nation's capital, right? Brasilia, capital of Brazil. And it's a, it's a big place. It's about 5 million people. And there we are surrounded by people and even church people who think they have great power. They think they are powerful. But the truth is that no one of them or us has anything compared to God. He is the, he's the one who long after our names are forgotten on this planet will be the all-marvelous the all-splendid, the all-powerful, the all-knowing God. He is the great one. And that's what this vision is showing us. Both with these living creatures and these wills. And now, as I say, this would not have been new to Ezekiel. But it is to a lot of people today. No, Sigmund Freud, in his famous book, Totten and Taboo, said, and I quote, At bottom, God is nothing more than an exalted father. And some of you may have studied philosophy and know that some have suggested that God is just a projector, a projection of our own desires. And that's what Freud is picking up on it here. And I'm not surprised that Freud being able to, to notice some things that are accurate, even though he doesn't understand them fully. So, for example, does everyone have a longing for a parent figure, for authority, for approval, for meaning? Well, yeah, I would say so, yes. It seems that's a basic part of us. But my question would be then, why is that the case? Why would we all be like that? Could that be part of the image of God in us? That he has made us specifically to know him. 
And that's the most important thing you can do in this life. Is to come and truly know this God. And that's why I think the Bible tells us clearly. So if you're here today or if you're watching us online and you're not a Christian, that's what we want you to know. And I speak of we now referring to all Christians. We are Christians. And we would like you to know this more anything else. God made us, all of us, in his image. That's where that longing comes from. That's where that longing comes from. But we have by our own sin separated ourselves from God. We have called down his wrath upon us because he's holy. He is a good God. Because he says that murder and lying and adultery and greed and pride are not okay. So because he is holy and he is good, he will punish us. And my friends, that leaves us in a terrible situation. In a terrible situation facing the wrath of God. But in his great mercy, the eternal son of God became flesh. Jesus Christ lived the life you and I should have lived. A perfect life, a life of complete fellowship, fellowship and obedience with his father. And then he died a death he did not deserve, but we deserve. He died a death for all of those who would ever repent of their sins and trust in him. And three days later, he was raised from the grave for our justification, vindicating all the claims that he made. And he ascended to heaven. And we are now called through the preaching of the word to turn for, from our sins and to trust in Christ, to repent and to believe. And that's how we know, my friend, you will come to have eternal life. A life that begins even today. So this all-powerful, all-wise God wants to come to know us. How wonderful is that? Christian friends, that's why our time together should be marked with reverence and trust. And please don't get me wrong, I don't think there is only one style of reverence. But I do think there are needs to be reverent and to trust him. And I, I don't know about you in your Christian life, but in my own Christian life, the more I've come to understand God's power, God's wisdom, the better able I am to trust him. So come to know more about God, this all-powerful, this awesome God, and you will find trust in him made easier. Because this God is extremely 
trustworthy. He is the all-knowing and all-powerful God. That is the second point that Ezekiel teaches us here. And the next truth about God is, and I think that this is the, the, the main point of the passage for Ezekiel. So number three is that God is not limited by circumstances. God is not limited by circumstances. And in this case here, it would have been God is not limited to Jerusalem. You know what, what he was seeing here was kind of the Ark of the Covenant on wheels. It was sort of a, a chariot uh, showing that God is not limited to the temple in Jerusalem. He had told them that, but they didn't seem to remember that. And they wondered in losing their land, had they lost their God? They wondered that in exile, had they lost their God? And the wonderful answer comes in this vision. No, they have not lost their God. Because God is the God of the whole earth. And he will come to them. And I wonder if that's why in verse 28, you even have this mention of the rainbow. It says, like the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds, recalling the universal covenant that God had made back after the flood in Genesis. Now, friends, if you see what this means, if you're here today and you don't really know this God, this means for you that you really cannot escape this God. You cannot escape this God. You may have thought you can't escape him by running from him. I know I did this quite a lot in my teenage years. You may have thought you can escape him by taking on the appearance of religiosity. When in your heart, you really could not believe or even care less. But this passage here stands as a warning to you and to me that this God is not limited to where you last think you saw him. Because one day we will all face him. We will all face him one day. There are maybe others of you here or online this morning, who, who may be thinking, okay, Felipe, well, but someone like me, someone like me, this God that you're describing, this God that you have said is so holy that he would not want someone like me. You can't know the things I've done. I'm not nearly as good as all these people sitting around me. This is you telling me about a God that is clearly not for me. My friend, if that's you, think again. If you think you are beyond God's care and concern, look at how he goes and seeks out his people here. 
Do you know why his people were in captivity? Why they were out in exile? Because they had sinned. They had done what they should not do. They had worshipped other gods full of idolatry. They had been adulterers. And yet, even those were lost in spiritual adultery. God, in his grace and mercy, in love, he came seeking. So my friend, if you think you are beyond being sought out by this God, think again. Think again. You need to realize that God's blessings is not tied up to the temple in Jerusalem. It's not tied up to the building in Baylistone Road here. It's not tied even to your husband or wife or your kids and family. God's blessings comes from God. And he is not limited by any earthly circumstances. God is not limited by any circumstances. Hallelujah. Let's go on to the fourth thing. I promise we are nearly there. And I couple, there's a couple more things about God which are not expressly thought in this passage, but which this passage gives us examples of, right? And which is typical of God as the Bible reveals him to us, and which are very important for us to notice. So number four is God initiates. God initiates. There is divine initiative here. You know, you see here, we don't find that Ezekiel was such a great religious seeker that he has been praying and fasting for 40 days and that in response to his religiosity, his personal virtue, God would agree to reveal himself. We don't see any of this here. We don't find in the first verse that Ezekiel reaches up and splits the heavens. No, nothing like that. We see here in verse 1, the heavens were opened. And, and that passive here, let us know what, that it was God that did it. It was God that did it. So we see in verse 4, the storm came. In verse 25, a voice came. In verse 28, one was speaking. So you see again and again and again, it's God that takes the initiative. And we are not surprised at this if we know our Bibles, my friends. If you know your Bible, that's no surprise for you. Because that is what the God of the Bible is like. He initiates. Few examples in Exodus, it is God who comes seeking Moses when he just out tending sheep. And he's already in retirement, he's eight years old, and God decided to use him to bring his people out of captivity. Or the great story of prophet Isaiah in the temple when God reveals himself to Isaiah. Or Paul on the road to Damascus as the risen Christ appears to him. He 
initiates. All the time, he initiates. And you know, one study I read a few years ago suggested that 84% of those who call themselves Christians, 84% of those who call themselves evangelicals, they embrace the notion that in salvation, God helps those who help themselves. Well, my friends, the story that we find in the Bible is not of us finally working together with God to save ourselves. But it is God initiating to those who are spiritually dead. And I love, I love the story in the Gospels where Jesus speaks to the deaf man. And that story is the story of your salvation and my salvation. Jesus speaks to the deaf man. His action of speaking, followed by his spirit, creates life. And that's what we have known. We are not good enough. We are not good enough for God to love us. God has chosen to love us. God initiates we are utterly dependent upon him. And our response is to be one of grateful praise and humble prayer. He initiates. And just one more thing we see in this vision. Number five, if you're taking notes, is that God communicates. God communicates and this is at the heart it's it's assumed it's it was new to them that it could happen there but they knew this about god and we also need to know this today this morning god communicates and people today and i'm talking especially about myself People today like special effects, like movies and etc. And we may think this beginning windstorm at verse 4 is, is cool. And you know, we might think that the lightning and stuff flashing back and forth is, is great. But then if you or I, or someone in Hollywood, for example, were planning this to be in a movie, we would put that at the end as the climax, right? The shining, the sound, everything. But this vision here starts with sight and then moves to sound, the sound of those wings, if you remember, and then it climaxes in verse 20, 28 in a voice of one speaking words. Do you see that? We would tend to go for the spectacle first because we like the, the immediate impression. But what God's doing here is he's showing through all of this spectacular attendance around him. It's calling attention to him. And even the way he appears to Ezekiel in this vision 
is calling attention to what he says to his word. The word is at the center. The word of God is at the center. And this is not just an architectural preference. This is a reflection of the story of the Bible. Of how God has revealed himself to us. Sight, sound, and speech. You see, this God wants no mere adoration from a distance. He wants a personal relationship. He wants a personal relationship. He wants no mere encounter in sensation. But he wants real love. And for that, my friends, there's a need of information exchanged. There's a need of communication. Proposition going back and forth so that we understand what we are seeing. So that we understand what really means. Communication is at the heart of relationship. Communication is at the heart of relationship. And it's not just an abstract theological idea that I'm bringing to you today. No. You know that in your life. Communication is at the heart of relationship. So here in this vision, I am not surprised that a climaxes with God speaking. A climaxes with God speaking. And what I'm saying to you, whether you are here not as a Christian or as a Christian is, do not be satisfied just by your own intuition. Do not be satisfied with superstition, with reverence to a mute God. Because the real God has spoken. The real God has spoken, my friends. I have a friend in my first Bible college, and he told me a story that he was going to a student fellowship, and he said that for two or three hours at the student meeting, the students were there with their hands up, singing, crying out in prayer for God to speak to them. But the whole time, their Bibles were lying there closed on their chairs. Friends, the God of the Bible has spoken to us. The real God, the God who created this world, who has acted to save us, and who will one day judge us. This wonderful God has spoken. And we can know what he's like. We can know what he's like. And please don't get me wrong again in my example. I'm not saying the music's not important. I'm a musician myself. I love music. But as Christians, we know from the way God has related to us that words are 
hugely significant. The words reveal. And you know that in your own experience. If you have a friend who's so busy, he just won't listen to you. He won't talk to you. He'll be in his phone all the time. It takes a toll on the relationship, doesn't it? But this God, our great God, communicates. So read his word and listen to his voice. Read his word, meditate on his word, and listen to his voice. So answering the question I've done in the beginning, what is God like? After all, God is not like us. God is all-powerful and all-wise. God is not limited to circumstances. God initiates and God communicates. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for how you have loved us in Christ. We thank you for how you have come seeking us. We pray that by your spirit, through your word, you would come seeking us again today. And we pray that for each person here. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, we're not going to sing our final song. I'm going to invite the, the team again up.